athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. Hey, we're back on the scene to talk about some things. Just to wrap up for the year 2019. You're locked in to the dopest show on radio from the press box to press row. I am your host, Donald Ware. Happy, happy, happy new year. We are officially in a new decade. And by the way, had a chance to wrap up the last decade. But speaking of wrap up, I think I believe since maybe 2011 or 2012, we we have played the 2000 whatever wrap up by Mad Skills, and you can hear it under me talking this 2019 wrap up version. You know he does a phenomenal job with this, very on point when it comes to. Uh, A lot of what happened in 2019 uh, from a societal perspective, from a political perspective, from a sports perspective, he's got the entire gamut covered. And as a matter of fact, um, he goes all the way to the end. Uh, He makes reference to Eddie Murphy's appearance on Saturday Night Live uh, in the 2019 wrap up does a phenomenal phenomenal job with it uh, on our website at box i had a chance to give you some of what i thought were the uh were the more memorable um events if you will that happened uh from 2010 to 2019 uh, you can check it out on our website at box talked about a number of different things uh, Winston-Salem State's run to the football national championship in 2012. The Shaw women's basketball team ultimately winning a championship in 2012. Uh, you look at Tariq Cohen uh, uh, for the decade. You look at the Grambling boycott. A lot of different. Look at Hampton, the women's basketball program, uh, or consecutive MEAC titles, a couple of upsets uh, along the way. So check that out on our website at BoxToRow.com. Speaking of upsets, a colossal upset in college basketball as the Florida A&M Rattlers uh, came away with an absolutely huge win. It can't be overstated. Um, you look, we, we talked about some of the bigger wins, uh, especially this year. You talk about Stephen F. Austin's win over Duke, 85-82. to 82. Uh, You talk about Gardner-Webb defeating Kentucky. You talk about Charleston Southern defeating Missouri. Well, Florida A&M defeated Iowa State, 70-68 to 68 on New Year's Eve. On New Year's Eve, and uh, it's the largest upset by a Division I team in the past 15 seasons. Larger than Stephen F. Austin, larger than Charleston Southern, 
larger uh, than Gardner Webb's victory. So we're going to, matter of fact, talk with Robert McCullum. He's the head men's basketball coach at Florida A&M. He's going to join us on From the Press Box to Press Row. What are your New Year's resolutions for 2020? And you know how it is. We have these great resolutions. I, I stopped doing, sort of stopped doing resolutions a while back, but we have these great resolutions, and sometimes we fulfill them, sometimes we don't. We get off to the great start. Ultimately, uh, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes we don't fulfill them. But what are some of, with that said, what are some of your resolutions for 2020 we resolute here on from the press box to press row we resolute to bring you uh this fine radio program uh on more radio stations across the country we resolute to also bring you um some more programming some more podcasts as a matter of fact got with the team and, and we talked about a podcast that we're going to develop for 2020 early on here in 2020 that's uh, going to be outside of the gamut of hbcu sports outside of the gamut of maybe sports as a whole as you know we do a lot you know we talk you know, we, we talk a lot of different things uh here on from the press box to press run one of the things we talk uh, about or to or with uh, our celebrity so we're going to step outside the box a little bit with a podcast uh, on this year those are some of the things we resolute to bring you in 2020 the national football league playoffs begin this weekend and we're going to be joined by usa today nfl columnist jared bell here on the program you know i got some questions for him i want to get his thoughts uh on some of the matchups i want to get his thoughts on some of the coaching uh situations that we have going on right now i want to get his thoughts on the washington redskins and the higher of Ron Rivera as the Redskins' new head coach. I'm going to talk about that a little bit today also on the program. You know how we do it here on From the Press Box to Press Row. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so. Hit me up via Twitter at Box2Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. That has not changed. Also on Facebook, B-O-X, the number 2-R-O-W. Also, follow us on Twitter while you're there. Friend us on Facebook while you're there. You can also follow us on Instagram at B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. If you want to get at me personally, do so uh, on my Twitter handle, at dware one Thank you to all of the great radio stations around the country that carry from the press box to press row. Those listening to us on Sirius XM, channels 141 and 142, and those that listen to us around the world at BoxToRow.com. So thankful to those radio stations that have carried the program. Uh, uh, and we have been on the air in excess of 14 and a half years now, coming up uh, on 15 years in August. And uh, to you, the listener, for listening to us each and every week. I want to talk about the Redskins hire of Ron Rivera, which I think is an absolute tremendous hire uh, by the Redskins. I think it's a great hire for a couple of different reasons. Uh, number one, at this time, I believe the Redskins need a defensive coach. They need a defensive-minded coach at this time because, you know, offensively, if you look at this team from an offensive perspective, and, you know, I get it, all of the, all of the, you know, you have all of these uh, uh, different coordinators and the coordinators are hot and 
who's running the greatest scheme uh, in terms of offense, who's got the best quarterback. When you look at college and we go to college to get these guys, even though they don't have any pro experience and all of those kind of things. And sometimes uh, it works out uh, for, for the most part. Uh, I guess the jury's still out. I I can't say it hasn't worked out, um, but the jury is still out. But, when you can, even in this day and age of football, you, I mean, let, let's, you know, let's look at Harbaugh of the Ravens. You know, he's been a head coach, been the coach of the Ravens, as a matter of fact, for quite some time now, made the adjustment when he knew of the, the when he looked at the talent of Lamar Jackson, made, switched, just switched up. And, you know, you can still do that. With veteran coaches, you can do that with defensive-minded coaches uh, as well. You don't, you know, as a head coach, you know, I think today you're seeing too many head coaches that are play callers, and they're more more of the offensive guys. Too many guys are play callers and don't have a handle on the team as a whole. You're not responsible for different segments of the team. Your responsibility is for the team in totality. So when you bring in a guy like a Ron Rivera, who has a defensive mindset, who also, by the way, brings in Jack Del Rio, a former not only defensive coordinator, but also a former head coach with some success in the National Football League as your defensive coordinator. It now allows for you to do some other things. I mean, you looked at I I never thought that North Turner was a great Head coach, but I always thought he had a great offensive mind. And uh, you look at what Ron Rivera, and I I realize it it didn't end well uh, in Carolina. In the last couple of seasons uh, have been struggles, I think, a lot in part because Cam Newton was injured. But he had the wherewithal to bring in an offensive mind. Uh, in North Turner, although I know he did have to have to call the plays on last year. But bringing in Jack Del Rio, I think if you keep Kevin O'Connell as the offensive coordinator, I think that's going to be good because the Redskins have a very uh, young team. Uh, they have a young quarterback in Dwayne Haskins. They have a phenomenal young receiving core. I think they need a, a piece or two on the offensive line. Um, you know, I, I would bring Adrian Peterson back at running back, but what do you do with Geis because he's always injured? So what do you do there? You, you're going to need somebody else um, with respect to compliment. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Adrian Peterson should be the one complimenting whoever you get. He should have been the compliment to Geis, but Geis has been hurt the last couple of years. The biggest issue with the skins is on the defensive side of the football and more specifically in the secondary. That said, the skins have a lot of talent on the defensive side of the football, a whole lot of talent on the defensive side of the football. A lot of young guys, a lot of talented guys. Uh, I think if they get the if the Redskins can get the secondary uh, together, I think that is going to be absolutely big. And by the way, Washington has the number two pick Ron Rivera is very well respected he's a good coach he won a Super Bowl uh, as a player Uh, he he went to a Super Bowl as a defensive coordinator he also uh, went to the Super Bowl as a head coach Uh, he's old school he's very well respected I think all of those things fit right in with what the Redskins need 
at this time. A lot of candidates out there, a lot of, you know, a, a lot of hot shots, uh, if you will. Some, uh, you know, candidates that uh, that ultimately uh, and you have, you know, you have the Eric B enemies of the world, uh, you know, that are out there as well. Offensive and defensive coordinators uh, that have done a good job at respective teams in the National Football League. But I think the Redskins hit a home run and I think things get turned around quickly. In Washington, not saying they're going to go to the playoffs next year, but I think, you know, I think this is a team that can uh, that can have an above at the very least an above 500 record in 2020. Uh, Still to come here. I'm from the press box to press row. Jared Bell, USA Today NFL columnist going to join us. We're going to talk to National Football League. Plus, David Stern, former commissioner of the NBA, passed away earlier this week at the age of 77. I'm going to share a story with you about David Stern. Plus, some of my thoughts on David Stern as from the press box to press row rolls on. It's Donald Ware, host of From the Press Box to Press Row. The biggest names are guests on Box to Row. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. Oh, yeah, well, I'm just, you know, trying to get better every single day. You know, uh, we've been through a lot as a team. And I enjoy playing with a great group of guys. Hey, this is Ronda Rousey. This is Michael Vick. Hi, this is Layla Ali. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Skylar Diggins. Hey, it's Alex Morgan with the U.S. Women's Soccer Team. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused. Yeah, and I was really um, ready and serious. Just really, you know, excited. Missed any of these interviews? Then check us out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's from the press box to press row. Real, relevant radio. From the press box to press row and boxtorow.com, your HBCU sports leader. Promised, Robert McCullum is in his third season as the head men's basketball coach at Florida A&M. And I tell you what, the Rattlers pulled off the colossal upset, 70-68 to on the road at Iowa State on New Year's Eve. As uh, Coach McCullum joins us here, I'm from the press box to press row. Coach McCullum, uh, congratulations, Happy New Year, and welcome to the program. Hey, thank you so much. Happy New Year to you and glad to be with you. Thank you for joining us. What a big time win. 70 to 68. You had to grind out, had, you know, you had a deficit there uh, and and did not go away, continued to grind and ultimately came out of the game with the victory. Your thoughts on the team's victory on the road against Iowa State? Well, we, we got to a good start. And anytime you plan against any, any team and particularly a, 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 not only a team from a power five conference, but a team who's been a perennial uh, NCAA tournament team. And so we managed to get off to a good start. And so that gave our guys some confidence and all. And uh, after about five or six minutes, we relinquished the lead. But yet we were never totally out of the game the entire first half. And I told our guys at halftime, we were fortunate to only be down nine points, but that we should feel good where we were. And, and that the most important period is always the last four minutes of the first half and the first four of the second half. And we stressed how important it 
it was to win that first four minutes. So aside from Iowa State, uh, it was their position to start the second half. Aside from them making a three to start the second half, we get off to just a great start and and outscored them. So we went from 12 points down to up by as many as six. And so as the game progressed, as Iowa State began to extend pressure a little bit, uh, our guys never crumbled. And at that point, our guys had the confidence that, hey, you know, we can we can beat these guys. Yeah, and ultimately you did. Speak to not only the shot that Rod Melton hit, which turned out to be the game winner somewhere around, you know, 10 seconds or so remaining, uh, but ultimately uh, his play in this basketball game. Well, yeah, he, he's a scorer. And so we're really, we're really playing, really play with three point guards in our starting lineup. And so we, 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 uh, we give up quite a bit size wise, but yet our ball handling, our, our decision making has really improved. And so we'll cut, we've cut down on turnovers. We get it up more shots. And, uh, Roderick Melton, unfortunately, was ineligible the second semester of last year. And so that was uh, a setback for us. And he's uh, just coming to his own. And he, like I said, he's a very capable scorer. And uh, he got good looks. And uh, he had just had, had one of those games where he was playing with confidence and uh, felt like, uh, hey, coach, I can score. I want the ball. Yeah. You know, take us through, you know, your feeling immediately after you won this basketball game, because I don't know, I don't know if you knew that, you know, 25 and a half point underdog and all that. I'm not sure if you're into all of that, but uh, what, what it meant, your thought, and then also what you said to your team after the game. Well, no, I did not know. I don't, don't pay, uh, you know, any attention to the, the, uh, the odds and uh, of, of what have you, uh, so I had no no idea. What I did know was that we were heavy underdogs, and those were one of those games we, uh, like so many small schools do, we have to play so many guarantee games. There's a, there's a money game. So not only are you not expected to win those games, you're not expected to even keep it close, especially when you're playing against teams from the Power Five Conference. So uh, – it was just, it was just grass, so gratifying, so exciting. The way not only to win the game, but the way our guys uh, conducted themselves with class, whether we are or not, we uh, we gave the appearance that we were used to winning. Yep. So that was nothing that anyone could say was embarrassing on the sideline or whatever. We believe in you celebrate, you sprint to the locker room, you celebrate in the locker room. So they were just ex- extremely exuberant, and I get the, the the joy I get is seeing the excitement, the smiles on our faces, and so uh, it, it it meant so much. It's been a long season already. We can't go to postseason play uh, because of uh, penalties from from uh, past years, and uh, we haven't played a home game yet, and so to. A win at Seattle, the last game before Christmas, December 21st, then to come back the first game after Christmas against uh, 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 an Iowa State team that just defeated Seton Hall a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I, couldn't, I could not be more pleased 
uh, for our players, for our program, for our university. Robert McCullum, in his third season as the head men's basketball coach at Florida A&M, joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. How much, Coach McCullum, and even though it was 10 days apart, to the point you mentioned playing Seattle on the 21st and then ultimately uh, playing Iowa State on the 31st, how much did that victory over Seattle 10 days prior uh, contribute and help you in the game against Iowa State? Uh, it helped tremendously. As you know, confidence is uh, is uh, so important, and and winning breeds winning. And we even made it a little bit more difficult in that even beating Seattle, Seattle U, our, our best low post uh, offensive player Evans Desir, uh did turn the ankle against uh, Washington State on December 19th. So he didn't play at CLU. He played six minutes against Iowa State, which would, that wasn't expected. So we were sort of shorthanded. But it, it, it was that confidence. And normally we'll play a game, say, the 29th or 30th. So we, we actually had a day or two longer of, uh, of preparation time. And uh, so I think with each game, my guys are growing. They're coming closer together. They're figuring out what it is we have to do to be successful, and uh, our decision-making, taking care of the basketball. You keep your turnovers down. You're going to get up more shot opportunities, and therefore you give yourselves uh, a chance to win. To your point, 11 games to this point, none at home. As a matter of fact, you won't play a home game until Saturday, January 11th. You're on the road this weekend at, or, or on Saturday, I should say, at North Carolina Central, and then on Monday at North Carolina A&T. We'll talk more uh, about that. Speak to some of the challenges um, about that. Uh, but again, uh, even though that is or those have been some challenges, you've been able to win your last two ball games, both on the road and both out west. I think one, we go back to last year. We we actually won more road conference games last year than we did it at home which is obviously which is which is which is odd and so i think our guys have uh have shown that they're comfortable playing on the road and second we have uh uh i'm in my third year but we've sort of turned the roster over to the to the degree that last year we were on an underclassman inexperienced team now one year later we have more upperclassmen than we do underclassmen so we've had uh, we have three starters that were a part of the the nine conference wins last year, finishing the season over a, a road win at Bethune Cookman, uh, arch rival team that we had not beaten in five years, had not beaten in their old campus facility in twelve years, and so we we brought that success into into this season, and. Uh, Again, experience makes a big difference. So guys who have just been in, uh, have been in situations and they tend to, to not panic as much. And so uh, their experience, uh, I thought, showed throughout the game and especially as the game you got down to the last three or four minutes of the game in terms of the way we took care of the basketball uh, as well as our shot selection. Robert McCullum is the head men's basketball coach at Florida A&M, joins us here 
on the program. Of course, you come here to North Carolina, Coach McCullum, uh, Saturday right up the road uh, against North Carolina Central, and then uh, also on Monday uh, up the road against North Carolina A&T. Uh, conference play begins. Can you speak to the challenges that both Central and A&T present? Well, first of all, is conference play is just a different animal. Uh, there's more pressure. The, the expectations are greater. The games mean more. And I, one of the most uh, gratifying things for me throughout my coaching experience is having been a part of a regular season conference championship, which is very difficult to do. Uh, to the, as an example, it's not unusual at all. You get to the Final Four and to see at least one team, if not more, who did not win their regular season title. It may have won the conference tournament, but yet was not uh, a regular season uh, uh, champion. So uh, whether it's a 16, 18, or 20 regular season conference uh, game, which uh, a number of the conferences are going to now, uh, that's grueling. And not to mention that, in my opinion, uh, North Carolina Central and North Carolina A&T I mean, those those two schools, uh, uh, basketball is extremely important. They have outstanding fan bases. They're extremely, extremely uh, well well coached. And what Lavelle Moten has done the last not only the last three years, but doing his entire tenure there, but three straight NCAA tournament appearances. We know his team's going to be ready to play. They have a good balance. They're very good defensively. Uh, very sound. Very well coached. We're playing on the road. And so we know we'll have our work cut out for us. And then on Monday, uh, uh, A&T has been one of the best defensive teams in the league. So we gave up 62.5 points a game last year. They gave up right at 62. Uh, we were the best team in the league at defending the three-point shot. They weren't far behind. And so uh, while we don't get any credit for what we did last year, just the rep reputations and where the programs sort of want to hang their hat. So we know uh, uh, both games uh, are going to be quite challenging, but yet given the the, uh, the confidence from the last two games as well as the experience uh, that, our, that our team has, uh, we'll go in confident, swing away, and, and uh, we feel like we can give ourselves a chance to win, and that's what you want uh, on the road. Robert McCullum in his third season as the head men's basketball coach at Florida A&M. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. The Rattlers coming off the big win over Iowa State on Saturday. Going to be on the road taking on North Carolina Central. Coach McCullum, we appreciate the time. Continued success to you and the Rattlers. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Just six wins two seasons ago. Raised that to 11 wins last year. And now a two big wins so far this season. Up next here on From the Press Box to Press Row, USA Today NFL columnist Jared Bell. All right, we're back and we're talking some National Football League here on From the Press Box to Press Row. And to do so, Jared Bell, NFL USA Today columnist, joins us here on the program as he does from time to time. I don't know anybody that knows the National Football League better than Jared Bell. Happy New Year to you, Jared. What's good? All right, man. How you doing? Just, uh... Getting into this playoff flow, bro. Yeah, yeah, man, no question about it. Four games this weekend. We'll dive into those. I want to start here. Um, the Jason Garrett uh, situation. 
why? I mean, why has it or why had it taken so long to make uh, a decision with him? You know, that's an interesting question. Um, I think just based on everything I know about Jerry Jones and the Cowboys and, you know, having been there myself for a number of years, this is a real personal thing, this relationship between Jerry and Jason Garrett. You got to think that, you know, Jerry was the guy who really kind of groomed Jason Garrett for this job for over a number of years, and they have grown very tight. It's like family. And I don't, um, you know, use that term lightly at all because knowing Jerry, in fact, when I was talking to to Jerry a couple weeks ago in Philadelphia, I was telling him how uh, one of the former scouts that I had run into at another stadium recently told me you know who had worked for the cowboys for 30 years and he said that that jerry told him hey you know you're always going to be in the family picture okay and i said hey that sounds like the same speech he gave me when i left the cowboys (laughs) it's like i left the cowboys in 1990 after jerry's uh first year of owning the team and sure enough um you know that's what he tells a lot of people that have been there. And I, I was teasing Jerry when I told him that the guy had said it. And I said, you know, you got a real big family picture. That's all I can say. Because <laughs> if you told me that and you told him that 30 years later, um, what a heck of a family picture. I mean, then we just start laughing about it. But that is part of the deal with Jerry. They, they run it like a family business. Um, there are a few teams who have done that over the years, the Steelers being a classic example, but even the Oakland Raiders to a degree ran it like a family. Now, Al Davis didn't have a lot of his kids or or relatives involved in the day-to-day operation when Mark Davis, who's the owner now, Al's son, was growing up. He didn't do much with the Raiders. It wasn't until um, Al passed away that Mark Davis stepped in and so um, different people have done that a different way with the Cowboys. you got each of Jerry's three kids are involved as executives, day-to-day executives with the team. Now, it's very, very, very interesting with that uh, particular situation. So l- let's look a little bit at the Redskins and oh, yeah. Ron yeah. Rivera totally. uh, gets hired. I mean, I you know, I mean, as a Skins fan, I mean, I, I really like the move and, and having, you know, talked – to, to Ron Rivera before, great guy. He had a lot of success in Carolina. Your thoughts on the Redskins hiring uh, Ron Rivera as the new head coach? Yeah, you know, Ron Rivera is one of these people that you won't find a person who's got a bad thing to say about him. He really is the salt of the earth, down-to-earth, relatable, um, respectful when it comes to how he deals with players and stuff. And I think that you know, the relationship he had with Cam Newton was one that would, would not have been the case with a lot of other coaches. And, you know, because Cam is a, um, you know, obviously a dynamic personality and, a, you know, great, wonderful talent, but he also, you know, had some edges to him that um, could could make for, you know, a difficult relationship, too. 
Um, and I think part of that was reflected when Steve Smith left the Panthers, you know, button heads with, with Cam a little bit. But, you know, Ron Rivera was able to finesse that with Cam to the point that he and Cam's relationship was just, um, you know, pretty tight. And I think that kind of underscores what Ron Rivera could be about. You know, former player with the Bears, you know, back in the, you know, the, the Super Bowl shuffle days and, you know, grew up under, you know, Buddy Ryan and became a coach and, you know, climbed the ladder. So he's he's got a lot of, you know, a lot of pelts in his belt from an NFL experience standpoint from a lot of ways. So good for Washington. The thing that I don't know about, and I, you know, I, I wish him the best with it, is kind of how um, he's going to deal with <laughs> the Washington environment. And that really starts with Dan Snyder, obviously, who has – said that he's going to back off and let Rivera do what he does. But most significantly, he is going to allow Rod Rivera to have final say on the personnel decisions. And that is tremendous. That is huge. That is unprecedented with Washington, except for when Joe Gibbs came out of retirement for a couple years under you know, with, with Dan Snyder. So in the whole Dan Snyder era with Washington that goes back, you know, over 20 years, he's never allowed a coach that much juice. And so I'm pretty sure that that's one of the reasons why they were able to get it locked up so quickly. So now what does Rivera do with that? We know what Bill Parcells could do with that. Um, and that was, you know, Parcells' big thing. He didn't always get it in every stop he wanted, but he always wanted that. You know, if you if you're gonna they're gonna have you make the meal, you got to shop for the groceries. So that's going to be the deal with Rivera. But he hasn't been in that position before, so we'll see. And I'm not saying that to cast any doubt on him because, like I said, he's a fine man with a lot of NFL experience, and maybe this was the natural progression of what he needed to to grow even even further. So um, we'll, we'll see how it works out for him. But yeah big challenge in Washington and part of that starts with the quarterback too I talk about Cam Newton well Dwayne Haskins is a young quarterback who is going to need some nurturing and and that's from a football standpoint and I believe from a maturity young man standpoint so we will see now the voice of Jared Bell USA Today NFL columnist you can check out his work at usatoday.com he joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. One more coaching deal, Jarrett. Pat Shermer in, in the Giants, he's out after two years. Is did, Was it a situation where the Giants just didn't see that the future uh, was bright with Shermer there as the head coach? Yeah, yeah, obviously. You know, when people let you go, they, they don't see something that they like, and they're not happy with the way things are going. And sometimes, you know, people don't really get a lot of time to do it. I mean, and then you look at Cleveland, and you know Freddie Kitchens gone after one year, uh, which you know Steve Wilkes, who was on the Brown staff this year, um, had one year as Arizona's coach. So it's it's very rare for a coach to get one year. But we've entered this this period, Donald. And the things have evolved to the point where you know the, the owners are really given like two or three years to see what they want to see in a lot of cases. And if it's not there in a couple of years, 
you know, they're cutting bait. I mean, you, Cleveland will be looking for its seventh coach since 2012, and that's that's a shame. It's a shame for the Browns uh, fans, and it's a shame for anybody who's, uh, you know, just really involved with their organization, player, coach, staff, whatever, um, for them to have those types of moves where you look at other situations and, uh, Pittsburgh has always been the classic example for how long the Rooney's stick with people, but you've got other teams that have done likewise, including Baltimore. So Baltimore has been in existence now since 96 under, you know, after moving from Cleveland and they've had three coaches. They had Ted Marchabroda, they had Brian Billick for a long time, and now John Harbaugh's been on it for, you know, 11, 12 years or whatnot. So when you get that kind of Stability from the you know the the people in charge. Even though you have shuffling going on in other positions, uh, that can allow you to really kind of establish what your program is going to be about. So in, in the Giants' case, um, they've got the GM Dave Gettleman, and and you know him from his Carolina days. Ron Rivera knows him from his Carolina days, and sometimes you don't always know what the heck. That Gettleman's trying to what he's up to and his reasoning for doing things, and with Shermer it didn't work. And you know maybe if Shermer had been retained, and say if, if we're sitting here a couple years from now and he'd been on the job for four years or five years or something like that, you know maybe he could have had some some success to talk about. But he came in in a tough situation, and when you when they hired him a couple years ago, I don't know if people said, oh wow, we got. You know, Pat Shermer. Yeah, he was that. He's one of those Cleveland coaches that um, <laughs> got a minute <laughs> on the job and then was out of there. But Bill Belichick, by the way, is another one of those Cleveland coaches. But that's another story, <laughs> another time. <laughs> right, right. A lot, a lot of success, obviously, uh, with, with Bill Belichick. Um, let's switch to some players. So you, you talked about Cam Newton. Do you think ultimately? What do you think happens with Cam? I mean, is it a, I guess always it's a possibility that he could come back to Carolina. Do you think he ultimately does, however? Well, um, I don't know. It, it, and that's not trying to evade the question, but it's just being point blank. I don't know what's going to happen with Cam Newton. But I, here's what I think should happen with Cam Newton. They should do everything possible to get Cam Newton back into the flow and to continue to build around Cam Newton. Now, obviously, Cam Newton is not the same guy that he was physically, or he shouldn't be. But I don't think it's, it's been a big physical drop off from what I've seen. You know, I mean, you never know how somebody is feeling from all the hits they took over time or whatever. But you don't, you know, that last injury was the first time you ever saw Cam Newton just really, you know, broken down. And to his credit, he shut it down, and they agreed and let it go at that. Um, so given that being the scenario, if I'm Carolina, I want to see Cam Newton back. Because who are you going to go and get in free agency or in the draft that's going to be better than Cam Newton? Nobody. You know, unless you can get Patrick Mahomes <laughs> or Lamar Jackson, right. which you can't. You know, unless you can get somebody like that, there's nobody you can get that's that's better than Cam. I mean, you can make arguments that, okay, this guy could be as good as Cam, you know, all that kind of stuff. But say Jameis Winston is sitting out there, um, 
would you take him over Cam? I would not. No. Um, even though he's a couple years young, you know, a little bit younger than Cam. But uh, that's why that's what I'm thinking with Cam Newton. It's like, well, it's not like you can go out and just get a guy that's going to be that good. Because even if you drafted, if you had the best prospect coming out of college or who is projected to be the best quarterback out of college, this kid from LSU would be one. And too bad Tua's hurt right now. But maybe you get Tua. And you hang hang on the can while Tua comes in. That's always a thought, but yeah, that might be sticky too. But you know, say you were able to get one of these top kids from from college, we just don't know what they're going to be. It's fifty fifty on college. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. Lamar Lamar was the fifth quarterback drafted. That's always going to stick in my mind. Sure. Man. So out of those five quarterbacks, I'm going Lamar is one and Josh Allen is two. Uh, so, yeah, so all that to say, if I'm Carolina, I'm trying to get Cam to be there and to be on board. Yeah, yeah and of course. Build the thing around. No question about it. Talking, of course, with Jarrett Bell, USA Today NFL columnist, joins us here on the program. You can follow him on Twitter at uh, Jarrett Bell. We're going to step aside. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to wrap things up with Jarrett Bell, USA Today NFL columnist, here. On From the Press Box to Press Row. It's Donald Ware. From the Press Box to Press Row. Continuing our conversation with USA Today NFL columnist Jared Bell here on From the Press Box to Press Row. So, you know, I, I liked the piece you did. To, it was You had 12 thoughts on the, on the playoff games. Uh, upcoming this weekend and of course you got a couple of teams um that have buys um the the one i want to look at most notably dalvin cook and minnesota as you pointed out lost their last two games cook did not play i'm still not sold uh on Kirk cousins uh quite frankly your thoughts i mean without a truly healthy dalvin cook i mean minnesota doesn't how much of a chance does minnesota have at new orleans uh on sunday yeah yeah, even if the Vikings are at full strength, you know, going into New Orleans and winning that playoff game was going to be tough or is going to be tough. It's not impossible because things happen, and um, the, the Saints have not really been as consistent as we've seen them even in some of their other years where you thought they could make a Super Bowl run, right? They, but lately the Saints have looked pretty good and they look consistent. But and that's really what matters too at this time of the year is how well you're playing, how healthy you are. And so there, the Vikings, they get a mark against them for health, and it's the health at that one key guy. Now, they went out and you know paid a bunch of money to Kirk Cousins to be the quarterback for them that would take them over the hump. And we've seen Kirk Cousins time and time again. Going back to Washington, but since he's been in Minnesota, you know, really failed to deliver against the better teams in the biggest games. I mean, I'm sorry, that's kind of what it is. And so the past mm, six weeks or seven weeks, it's been tougher for Kirk Cousins because Adam Thielen, their fine receiver, has been out most of that time with a hamstring problem. Now, he's back now, but it's a hamstring. So go ask Deshaun Jackson about that. Sometimes they never heal until you get a whole off season. So 
they may be one snap away from pulling again or straining again or something like that. So that's a factor. But Cook is a bigger factor right now because without without feeling, at least you still have, you know, Stephon Diggs and you got Kyle Rudolph, the big tight end in the passing game. And you've got Dalvin Cook conceivably as a receiver out of the backfield. You know, he's had some really big receiving moments this season as well. But a lot of it was in the passing game. So Cook can give you that. And so when the Vikings had their struggles the first, you know, a couple, three weeks of the season, a lot of pressure on Kirk Cousins, Stephon Digg wanted to get, wanted to get out of there. <laughs> all of that. Right, right. Well, Cook, Cook, yeah, Cook was the guy who solidified all that for Kirk Cousins to allow Kirk Cousins to be the best he can be, which partly is dependent on having the play action. And so if you got Cook in the backfield, you've got a better quarterback. If you don't have Cook in the backfield, you don't have as good of a quarterback. And I think that is going to catch up with the Vikings. Now, they think Cook is going to play. So, you know, you got a shoulder injury. This is the time of year you're going to try to, you know, tape it up and go. So that is going to to be, but how effective will he be? We will see. Yeah. Speaking of effective, you know, I, 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 Houston is good. I, mean, I like I, I like Buffalo. I'm not sure if Buffalo can go into Houston and win that game, J.J. Watt or not. But how effective do you think J.J. Watt can be for the Texans? Yeah, I, yeah, another big mystery. At least he's trending in the right direction in terms of, you know, he's had half the season off. He had surgery, obviously. And the reports coming out of Houston, which you can take with a grain of salt because it's coming from the team, but they say that, you know, they're giving him an increased practice load and that they're going to be smart and careful with how they use him. I think it's going to help because it's J.J. Watt, and even, you know, if he's not 100%, which he won't be 100%, but if you find some spots to use him, um you know, that adrenaline is going to be flowing, so he might be able to make some things happen. But the other thing is that you, if you're the opponent, until proven otherwise, you can't ignore him. So if you need to double-team him or whatever, whatever, if you don't, you're, you're risking it. And I think that helps the guy on the other side, Whitney Merciless, who had the longest streak of his career without a sack when <laughs> J.J. Watt went down. He went like six games in a row without a sack. And then he finally got two in like week 16, and and that's that. That's all he's had. And um, so I think what happens in those situations is that you know if you don't have JJ Watt, you can slide your protection, put your double coverage, and and worry about merciless more than you ever had to before in terms of how you're going to block him. So I think that is one of those things that you know just having JJ Watt in the mix could help Houston but I agree with you I think it's going to be real tough for Buffalo to win that game but the one thing that you can say that gives Buffalo a chance is the fact that they have a really good defense coordinated by Leslie Frazier by the way um, who hasn't gotten as much um, attention as I think he should have on this you know head coaching market but anyway he's done a great job with the Bills defense and they will play and if we saw the them against Dallas on Thanksgiving that that shows you how they could play and then Josh Allen the court young quarterback kind of fits that he's a big rugged you know tough guy who could run and and so they've got some things to do on offense but here's the thing about Josh Allen uh not the best passer you know in terms of 
um, you know, the accuracy and the consistency as a thrower. So you wonder about that. But <laughs> this is going to be his first playoff start. And, you know, you can poo-poo it all you want and say it's no different than playing in a regular season game. And maybe you would think that it shouldn't be, but it really is. And um, last year you had every quarterback in the first weekend who was making his first playoff start lose. And let me mention a couple of those guys. They were over in the first round of the playoffs last year, quarterbacks making their first start. And the offers included Deshaun Watson who you know, just laid an egg against the Colts. They were supposed to win that game. They were at home, and they lose. Deshaun Watson was the quarterback, couldn't get it done. Lamar Jackson, they have, they were at home, played the Chargers, who he had lit up a couple weeks earlier. They He lost. And so um, now it's a time for them to step it on up and see if they can do it. Patrick Mahomes didn't play on opening weekend last year. He won his opener, but he lost the next week in the AFC championship game. So I think there is something to be said for quarterbacks. Um, and maybe I think it's more than a coincidence making their first playoff starts. Let me tell you a quick story, Donald. Sure. I, re- I remember years ago, you know, I covered the 49ers before um, uh, going to USA Today. So I covered the 49ers back in the early 90s. And, and I remember Joe Montana, the great Joe Montana, telling me, point blank, yes, there is a difference in the playoffs, the intensity, the, you know, the finality of it, the premium on mistakes, and you have to raise your game. And that's what I try to do every year is raise my game for the playoffs because it is a different thing. Don't believe this stuff when people tell you it's no different than some big regular season game. So when Joe Montana tells me that, I'm believing it, okay? Right. Especially you're talking about a guy who, you know, won four Super Bowls and, like, never threw an interception in a Super Bowl. <laughs> okay. Right. He's got credibility. So a, a few years after Montana told me that, I'm in Detroit, and I'm doing a story about the Lions getting ready to go to Philadelphia. Well, I think I think they were going to Philadelphia. But they were, yeah, I think they were going to Philadelphia to play a playoff game. And it was going to be Scott Mitchell's, First playoff start. He's got Barry Sanders with him, and he's got Herman Moore, Brett Perriman, Johnny Morton, receivers, and it's the first playoff game for Scott Mitchell. And I'm talking to Scott Mitchell, who I knew a little bit because I remember him when he was in Miami. So we had a, you know, a little bit of a, you know, familiarity and, and, you know, reporter player thing. And he told me that it made no difference. And that it was going to be just like a regular season game, and he didn't think that you need to put any added pressure just because it was the playoffs and blah 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 blah. And he just poo pooed my whole idea about <laughs> you got to take it to another level. And the end of the story is that Scott Mitchell went to Philadelphia with the Detroit Lions, and they got crushed <laughs> by Ray Rogers' team. And Scott Mitchell was awful; did not raise his game to the playoff level. So that's a true story of two guys who had a view on it and ended up having totally different results. And that's probably about the last we've heard of Scott Mitchell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're right about that. Jared Bell, USA Today NFL columnist, breaking it down. Great stories here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Jared, as always, and by the way, of course, follow him on Twitter at Jared Bell and check out his work at USA Today 
Facebook.com. We appreciate the time, Jared, and we'll catch up with you real soon. All right, Donald. Always uh, good to be with you, man. Happy New Year. To you as well, Jared. And before we get out of here, i got to tell you my quick story um, about uh, former NBA commissioner David Stern. Had a chance to cover my very first NBA All-Star Weekend back in 2007. It was in Las Vegas, and I was hanging with uh, Roscoe Nance, former USA Today uh, NBA writer, and it was so crazy because Roscoe knew everybody. Everybody knew Roscoe, so we were at you know, various parties and so forth. And it was really, really cool. I was having a blast. And on Sunday morning, Roscoe invited me uh, to a to breakfast into a very intimate breakfast. It was probably maybe 10 reporters and it dealt. It, w- it had to deal with the NBA's renewal of its partnership with TNT. So Roscoe introduces me to uh, to David Stern uh, he says, Donald, glad to meet you, that type of thing. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, this is awesome. And, you know, he was so personable. Um, you know, he didn't just wasn't just an introduction and just blew me off. He, we, we, we talked momentarily uh, what we talked about. I can't remember at this point. And, but just being sort of in that room and, you know, uh, you know, being with uh, in the room with David Stern, who absolutely commanded that room, did so much for the NBA Again, passing away this week at the age of 77. Speaking of passing away, Charles Watkins, a good friend of mine, a former photographer at A&T, has done so much. Uh, he passed away, matter of fact, last month, and his uh, memorial is going to be uh, on Saturday in Greensboro. Uh, condolences go out to his family. Uh, my time is about up. I thank you for yours. Thank you to Jarrett Bell. Also, to Robert McCullum for joining us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Once again, Happy New Year. Got some big things planned in 2020. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications. Say, I want you to feel it, too.